Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Good Leadership Podcast. If you're new here, I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership and the co-host of this podcast. Here's my friend, Kevin. Hi, and I'm Kevin Sensenig. I'm the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership and the President of Interaction Dynamics Group, the Atlantic Partner for Good Leadership. So, Paul, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm happy. There are signs that we're getting rid of winter here in Minnesota, and that, you know, that's big around here. And this week, we're um, doing some fun work. We're building a cultural plan for a large multinational firm hmm. where the executives really want to put the play hard back in their cultural mantra, work hard, play hard. Interesting. So um, we're coaching the senior leaders on how to role model the permission-giving style that's required to give employees permission to find more fun in their work. It's sort of a simple problem, but I think many, many organizations after the COVID situation have all been thinking, man, this has to be more fun. Yeah, no doubt. How about you? What are you working on? Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. You know, we're kind of ending that first quarter. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the clients we're working with are looking at those first quarter results and saying, how accurate are we to the plan we put in place to begin the year? Uh-huh. And so we're going back to the alignment work and making sure leaders still feel aligned and connected to one another, that they feel as though things are being achieved in the plan. And so it's a very exciting time. Uh, as they think about their compelling plan, they think about their results, and they think about their teams. So much in line with what you're saying, building that sense of energy moving forward. Well, you're a unique guy because you're talking about mid-course check-ins as exciting times. You know, that that's pretty special, Kevin. I don't know. <laughs> Most of my clients think about those as root canals. <laughs> <laughs> we make them a lot of fun. I enjoy that time with clients. And you're right. The first time I introduced the idea, they always go, oh, not one of those. And then we get through like two or three, and they go, hey, this is actually pretty pretty good. We actually get some good things done. So you got to make it a little fun along the way too. So Okay. Well, the subject of this particular podcast is all about compelling plans and why we think every organization really needs one. And the, the rationale from this comes from the research that we did for the How Goodness Pays mm-hmm. book, which is over five years ago now. Wow. And in that research, we identified five goodness pays factors. And these were identified by employees mm-hmm. whose... CEOs created consistently positive financial results, and then the employees also said, yes, we see goodness in our culture, in how the organization, Mm -hmm. you know, leads itself and manages day-to-day activities. And so we identified five specific factors that are related to, you know, positive financials. And the first factor is having a compelling business plan. Hmm. So we're going to talk about that in depth today. The second one is that profitability is healthy for everyone in the business. They have a team-based culture. That's number three. Number four is that the organization is built on transparent decision-making. And then five, Mm -hmm. probably the most important one here, is that they lead in such a way that the ethics are magnetic to attract the very best talent. Mm. And I think there's a connection here Mm -hmm. that the very best talent is going to appreciate those mid-course check-ins that you were talking about earlier and actually probably find them exciting. Right, right. So, Kevin, what does compelling mean to you in the context of compelling plan? Yeah, when I think of compelling, what makes a plan compelling versus the strategic is that sense of connection, that people are excited about contributing to the plan. They feel as though uh, they have value to add to the plan. They feel as though the work they're doing leads into execution of that plan in a good way. Uh, and they're inspired by it. They actually are excited about what's happening in the plan, not just it's a plan on paper. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'll add just one thing. Um, when we've been asking employees if they think the plan is compelling, the number one indicator is if, if they feel like they had a hand in building it, they're likely to say, yes, I think our plan is compelling. Right. And so that really kind of plays into the idea that we want to push out here today. 
And that is that we believe that the more people who are involved, the more engaged the whole organization is. Okay, so with that, it means it's time for our story of the week. What's on your mind, Kevin? Well, I'm thinking about an organization that today is really thriving and firing on all cylinders because they have a compelling plan that people feel they've contributed to. And that's a big difference for this organization than a few years ago. So if I back up just a few years when the CEO called and said, hey, we have a challenge. We feel as though we're losing our sense of execution and accountability. What can you do to help us with that? Um, The first question I had for them was, well, what's your plan? How's that looking? And uh, it was funny, in the very first meeting, I remember one of the executive team members reached into our briefcase and pulled out this beautiful 52-page, four-color, spiral-bound, glossy paper plan, plopped to the table and said with great joy, here's our plan for the year. And I kind of smiled because I think 52 pages, that's like a page a week. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Wow, a page per week. How simple is that? Yeah. And so I said, you know, I just asked the question, so what? How is this being used? And I'll never forget, Paul, it was funny. The CEO kind of leaned back in his chair and he smiled and he said, I don't think anyone's ever read the plan and no one's really following the plan. And I think that was really a good indication of what happens in most people's strategic plans. The leadership team goes off site. They build something they love or excited about. They hand it out to everyone and it sits on the shelf until the end of the year, right? And that's the furthest from what we call compelling plans. And so it was interesting, uh, immediately I started asking them to think in terms of what's in this plan that really is giving the organization a sense of priority. And so they started listing out all the things in the plan that in their mind were focus areas for priorities. And when I got to 25 on the list, I said, well, let's take a time out here. And the CEO leaned back again and he said, I think we found our problem. 25 priorities in a one year, no wonder people didn't feel excited about the direction. Well, I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons why we feel so passionate about helping our executive team clients negotiate with one another to land on three can't-miss priorities. Yeah. Because everyone understands threes, you know, A, B, C, red, yellow, green. And it, it's how people who are not thinking about the plan every day can keep the plan alive. So that's more priorities than I've ever heard of, 25, and they weren't even done with the list. So I'm curious to find out then, once you got the awareness built – Um, What did you do to help them focus in and actually create the compelling part of their plan? Yeah, so we recognized we couldn't take that in one big jump. We had to take this in smaller steps. And so I just asked them to focus first on what are your top three priorities in this this year? And when they could narrow those in and focus on those, they said they got excited. The leadership team got excited about that. And they started sharing that with others in the organization. Others started saying, well, it's much easier to remember than the 25 things I saw before. I'm not sure I'm totally convinced on that, but I feel better about that direction. So we started small. We said, let's just get to three priorities and a couple of key metrics around each of those priorities for our first year. Well, how did you do that? I mean, because the idea when you get an executive team to narrow to three things is that some people are giving up things that are important to them for the goodness of the whole team. You know, how did you go about it? Well, we took a look first at this big plan document and tried to pull out how did things get into this document? Were they put there because everyone agreed they should be in there? Or did they kind of get put there because it was someone's pet idea? Someone Mm -hmm. was excited about something they wanted in the plan. And they recognized that they didn't negotiate those things. If anyone on the leadership team put something on the table, it went into the plan because it must be important to them. But they weren't thinking about the organization. They were thinking about their functional area. So they weren't willing to create the tension necessary to narrow. Correct. Now, they were nicing all over each other. We know a lot about that in Minnesota here. (laughs) 
and we find that elsewhere outside of Minnesota as well. Okay. Uh, you know, as much as we assume this Minnesota nice, it, that, that permeates a lot of leadership teams, right? I don't want to step on your things. I don't want you to step on my thing. So they just put them all in there. And so when they began to really negotiate that and work through it, they were able to take a majority of things off the list because they realized they were functional area responsibilities. Like, mm-hmm. I can do that with my functional team. They can drive that activity. It doesn't have to be in the big strategic direction plan and the big priority plan. Uh, and then they got it down to maybe eight or nine things, and then we could negotiate around those eight or nine, and that helped them get down to three. And they struggled a little bit. We actually gave them an opportunity to think in terms of some organization priorities and some business priorities. So they could mm-hmm. get three of each. That allowed them to, to narrow it in and feel at least that first year they had some more sense of focus. And it allowed people in the organization to feel as though this was a better sense of direction. So that's where my head was going. So up until this point, it's all negotiating inside the executive team room without any really outside-in perspectives. How did they get the perspectives of the people outside of the room? Yeah, so we took that first round of negotiated priorities, and we began to just to socialize that in the organization. We shared it. Here's what, here's what we're thinking about reprioritizing things and why that's important from a leadership team perspective. And that allowed employees and leaders and team members and managers to give a lot of feedback and begin to help the leadership team recognize that just because the leadership, leadership team thought it was important didn't necessarily mean all the employees thought it was important. And they began to really gain a better perspective of how their team was seeing customers and the market and the opportunity in front of the organization going forward. Well, that reminds me of one of the best leaders I've ever worked for. Once they did the executive team planning, uh, he would skip over his middle managers and go directly to the frontline leaders and ask, hey, these things we're thinking about doing, does that resonate with what you're hearing and seeing and feeling from, you know, touching the customer every single day? And it took a while for the middle managers to not get their feelings hurt. But ultimately, the plan got much better. They moved much quicker, and it made it easier for everyone. But that's kind of what's going on in my mind as I hear this story from you. Well, yeah, and actually that allowed the leadership team then, after that first year of focusing on some key priorities versus all those things they had in that big plan, to then rethink about strategy from a three-year window. Rather than think about a strategic plan every year, build a three-year strategic plan people could buy into as a big opportunity direction and then build yearly plans to drive that and build priority around that. I can see now why you're excited about doing quarterly mid-course check-ins, right? Because if, if, if everyone is in the know and curious and wants to be informed mm-hmm. as to how well this plan is working out, I can see that there's excitement in having those meetings. Yeah, and I think the key thing this organization recognized was rather than the leadership team going offsite and creating the plan and bringing it back to give it to the organization – they had to interact with employees and managers and leaders to get input to the plan up front. And so they started to do some surveying with larger groups of employees, some small team meetings to get insights from them. They started getting outside perspective that helped them not just have an internal view of their plan, but a market and customer view of their plan as well. Okay, so I like the, the idea of surveying. I was going to ask you the measurement question. So how did, how did the business improve? Yeah, so they went, so one of the easiest ways we measure that is through our Team Momentum survey, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So they went from a first-time Team Momentum survey score and compelling plan of 52. That's so about red. half yeah. the organization thought the plan was exciting and, and compelling. Mm-hmm. So the last time they did it, at 88, almost 90% of people felt the plan was compelling. Yeah, so it went from red to green in a very short period of time. Correct, yeah. And most of that was because now people felt that they were excited to be accountable to drive the plan because they saw it as their plan. 
Rather than being held accountable to the plan, they were building the accountability around the plan. And they were excited about what was happening. Okay, so that, that they got to the point of having a winning culture. And did they see the, the business results improve as well? Yeah. So when we started the conversation, the CEO was struggling because they had gone through a huge growth cycle and then they plateaued and they mm-hmm. couldn't get that next level of growth to happen. And through this cycle of getting priorities first and then building a strategic plan around those priorities, they began to see that uptick again. Uh, they began to see growth and they began to actually grow faster than the market they were in was growing. So they were excited about that because when they were at or below market growth for three years in a row, doing this, they were now above market growth for three years in a row and they felt as though that was moving them in a better direction. Well, I love the story and I'm sure it was fun to coach in that organization. Um, I've got a couple things on my mind here now. I think when we talk about compelling plan, there's a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker is involved equals engaged. Involved equals engaged. So we often hear from organizations who are complaining that employees are not really engaged, and what we hear in that is they're not involved in doing the most important work, which is planning for the future and solving the most difficult problems together. And right. what, what I'm also hearing in your story is that there's negotiating that needs to happen. You got a negotiation happens through tension. And part of what we need to do is to help people in that tension understand where do I fit in this equation Mm -hmm. and why does what I do matter? Mm -hmm. So where do I fit and why do I matter? And if the plan isn't compelling, it's extremely difficult for people to see those ideas. And what we're learning through our coaching and yours as well, that the best thing about having a compelling plan is that how well it aligns all the different teams in the organization. So without that alignment, you know, people are really not drawn to give their best effort. I think especially in a wonky world where we've got, you know, return to office issues and work from home issues and figuring out how to keep this all um, the organization centered. If we're focusing on our customers and we have a plan we feel like is exciting, we can transcend all the wonkiness that goes along with what we've been dealing with over the last two years. And I would add to that, in addition to employees sensing where they fit and how they contribute to the plan, it allowed the organization to align around where they fit in the marketplace and how they could best fit with their, with their customers. Because they interviewed some existing customers and non-customers, it gave them a very different insight to that sense of where they fit. So we can summarize this whole thing by saying it's better off to get more people involved and to negotiate down into the fewest number of priorities as possible. So in this story, you've come up with a couple of success habits you've gleaned off of this that we think are valuable to other people. So tell me, you know, what are the structural and the relational success habits you found? Yeah, the the structural success habit is really around the value of having both internal and external data as a reference point to kind of validate that intuition. You know, most leadership teams like to believe they have a good handle on their customer and their employees and what people think. The data actually challenged them to think differently about that and engage differently in in the information as they built the plan. Okay, so inside out and outside in at the same time to triangulate and validate their assumptions. Okay, that makes sense. How about the relational side? Yeah, on the relational side, I think we find the relational element of compelling plan is helping people feel that sense of specific social connections in the planning process. And this organization accomplished that by engaging a larger planning team and engaging more employees and giving input to the plan. So people didn't feel it was just a plan of activities it was an understanding of where do I fit? Where do you fit? How do we work together to make this plan work? And that social connection 
has really uh, ramped up the sense of the leadership team not having to own the plan, but employees and managers owning the plan and wanting to see it succeed. So I'm laughing inside because I've coached in a whole bunch of large corporations where the planning process is an absolute dirge. It seemed like a tax on the responsibility that you get in the organization. And, you know, many of those organizations would never describe planning as exciting or or compelling. So I'm going to restate your relational success habit first. And that is that involved equals engaged and engaged equals ownership. Mm -hmm. And the more people who are feeling ownership over the initiatives, the more successful the organization is going to be. I mean, that's kind of one of those duh statements. And then to restate the structural success habit, it's to validate your plan with triangulated internal and external data to help employees understand some of the assumptions and the ideas and feelings that went into the plan. Mm -hmm. I think these are really good suggestions that we can pass along to our audience here and also to our other coaching clients. Yeah, and I appreciate the the recap in that way because it also makes me think of another part that kind of fits into that, the idea of micro-planning. Okay. The sense that, you know, people think, you said kind of planning feels like a dirge in organization because it feels like this massive undertaking, right? And so when we use the micro-planning concept, it allows smaller teams to come together and form thoughts and form input and form opinions and feel that they're being validated in the planning process. And we find that to be a very valuable aspect to building up to that full overall organization plan because now when it rolls out, people say, hey, I put that in there, or my team contributed that, or that's where my team fits into the plan. So it's a really nice connection using that as a follow-through element of both the structural and the relational elements. Well, that implies that you have leaders at the top who are open to that suggestion, and they're actually encouraging the creativity and the ideation that goes along with making plans better in micro-planning. And I think that's probably the most important part of helping people land on where do I fit and why do I matter. So those are two really, really important mm-hmm. concepts to bring compelling plan alive. Um, I always learn something new from you every single time. I very much look forward to it. I just want to say thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the conversation with Kevin and me. And we're excited about furthering this discussion around leading teams and coaching teams to, you know, better performance faster and easier. And Paul, I've really enjoyed the conversation as well as I always do. And I want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode. Uh, If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. And so if you have thoughts about the episode today or you want to uh, suggest ideas you'd like to hear about in future episodes, uh, please share your thoughts with us. And you can reach out to us at info at goodleadership.com. That's I-N-F-O at good leadership.com and look forward to seeing you next time yes we do hope to hear from you soon and until next time remember good leadership is a team sport and it's our intention to help you build the team that helps you build your dreams make it a great day 